0: Okay, just a quick recap. We have um, been working through in this season the Beatitudes and the principles of Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christian uh, recovery ministry, and we've been talking about what it means to move forward from brokenness to wholeness. And so, two weeks ago, we began by talking about the Beatitude, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit, and we recognize that the beginning of our journey to wholeness is recognizing that we are not whole, right? That we are broken, that we have sin, um, that we need help. And that first principle, would you put that on the screen for me, Drew, Uh, is um, to admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable, okay? And then last week we talked about blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we discussed how God doesn't necessarily cause pain, but uses pain to draw us to godly grief so that we can mourn and return to Him. And we talked about the second principle of Celebrate Recovery, to earnestly believe that God exists, that we matter to Him, that He has the power to help us recover. Uh, So today, um, we're going to talk about this beatitude, um, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. I um, understand that Bill Farmer's old newspaper column once quoted a guy named J. Upton Dixon. Uh, and J. Upton Dixon was, a guess, a fun-loving guy. And so he told a, a comedic story about a, a ministry he wanted to start one day in his church. <clears throat> his goal was uh, to do a ministry for submissive people. And uh, he was um, going to have a slogan, the, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. And it was going to have a, a symbol, which was the yellow traffic light. And um, they were going to, actually, he was going to write a book called Cower Power. Uh, and, and he actually had a, a name for this ministry he was going to start. Uh, it was going to be called Dependent Organ, uh, this, uh, a, a group of people called Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. Uh, and that acronym, if you can't remember it, is just doormats, okay? Um, and every time I read this, um, para, this uh, uh, beatitude about Blessed are the meek, I think, gosh, that, that just sounds like doormats, right? It sounds like, I, I don't know that I like the idea of being meek. I don't even like the sound of the word meek. It just feels yeah. Uh, and, and as we as we look for people in our lives, you know, if you're looking for a great surgeon or a great fighter pilot, if you're looking to hire a salesperson in your business or you need a new CEO or, or maybe you're looking for a pastor or whatever, uh, you don't usually put meekness at the top of the job description, right? Meek sounds like weak, right? They rhyme and they just go together. So, I want to ask, why in the world is Jesus so pro-meekness? Okay, so let's, let's cut Jesus a little bit of slack here. Uh, first of all, it's not just Him. Uh, this is a, an interesting value that shows up throughout the Old Testament as well. In fact, this particular beatitude is a quote from Psalm 3711. Psalm 3711 says, "...but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity." And it's not just that one psalm. Meekness is a weird value throughout the Old Testament. There's a verse in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that says, Moses was very humble, the most humble man in all the earth, which I always think is amusing because it was written by Moses, right? Um, but, but, but actually, we, we tend to translate that word um, meekness. Moses was very meek, the most meek person in all the earth. Now, if you know the story of Moses or you know the story of Jesus, neither one of them are weak. Neither one of them are passive. They're pretty um, hard-charging people, um, but they're meek. So, uh, I think we misunderstand this word. I think we understand meekness to mean weakness. I think it's better understood as strength contained or strength harnessed. Uh, and so you can think of sort of the image of a, of a wild stallion, right? That's an incredibly powerful animal, but but just kind of running amok. And if you were to capture and tame that animal, it is no less powerful, right? But now its power is put to a purpose, and, and that's the idea of meekness in scripture. It's not weakness; it's it's power submitted or surrendered, particularly surrendered to God. By the way, you cannot be meek if you have no power, right? You cannot be meek if you have no power because you can't surrender your power to God if you have nothing to surrender. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit today about why meekness, um, this, this power surrendered or submitted to God, is so essential for us in our faith and I think it begins with the opposite of meekness. The opposite of meekness is pride. And we got to talk about pride a little bit today, because pride is an incredibly important concept in scripture and in our lives. Last week I showed a little video of um, the Jesus Storybook Bible and the telling of the Garden of Eden, right? Where Adam and Eve eat the first fruit, the serpent tempts them, and, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And I want to come back to that story today, but rather than reading it um, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, I want to read it right out of the, out of the actual Bible because the language here is really interesting. Um, so we, we know the, the contours of the story, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God puts a tree in there, and He says, don't eat from this tree um, or you'll die. Everything else is fine. The serpent comes along, and the serpent finds Eve, uh, and the serpent says, um, you know, if you eat from this tree, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Scripture says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, I I think the the first sin in Scripture is a sin of pride, right? They're not eating the fruit because they're hungry. There's plenty of things to eat. They're eating the fruit because they want to be like God. They want to have more power and more control and more wisdom, more than God had designed for them. They want to be the center of things. They want to be God. The Bible never talks about how um, Satan falls, right? We understand Satan to be a fallen angel. The Bible never tells us how that happens, but over the years theologians have talked about this a lot, and the general assumption is that Satan's sin is pride as well, and, and this just makes sense, right? There's, um, there's no physical flesh, so he's not going to be tempted to, um, you know, do something immoral with his body. He doesn't have a body, uh, and there's no uh, economy in heaven so it doesn't need to be greedy, right? There's not very many ways you can mess up when you're living in heaven, but here's the one thing you can do. You can say, I want to be God instead of God. I want to be the center of things instead of, instead of God. Uh, and so we think about um, the first sin in the garden and, and maybe even the first sin before that in heaven with Satan as as pride. And, and I hope you've noticed this in, in the context of Scripture Pride is the sin that Jesus most rails against. Uh, yeah, He talks about lots of different kinds of sins, and He has no problem calling people out for their sins, um, but it's pride that makes Him really upset, right? He, he, he has more patience for the woman caught in adultery. He has more patience for the tax collectors. He has more patience for uh, the drunkards. He doesn't have a lot of patience for the spiritually proud. This is really, really important. I believe that almost all all of our sin at some point touches on this sin that pride is the sin that enables all the others. Now, now maybe you're going to say, Well, wait a minute, Jim, uh, I, I'm not that proud a person, right? In fact, I struggle with self esteem. I don't have. I, no, I, I think you do, you just don't know it. Uh, So, um, pride is when I am convinced that I can solve my problems on my own. Pride is when I need help and I won't ask for it. Pride is when I believe I know best, despite all evidence to the contrary. Um, Pride is when I believe I am the solution to my problems and maybe everybody else's problems. Um, Pride is when I practice religion, right? When I say I will earn God's love by being good enough to deserve it. Pride is when I am convinced that my problems are too big to be solved. Sure, I I, I understand that God helped other people or or Celebrate Recovery or AA helped other people, but my addiction is so much worse than theirs, you can't even imagine. Yeah, I know it helped other people, but my depression is so much worse than other people's, you can't even uh, begin to think about how bad it is. Yeah, I, I know your job is busy, but my job is so much busier than yours. There's no way I can get my head out of, out of all this work. Yeah, I, I know your marriage is tough, but my marriage is really… Do you hear it? Right? It's just pride. P- pride is this, this thorn that works its way into our flesh that affects so much of how we see the world. Uh, and by the way, pride is not always arrogance. Pride is not always arrogance. Arrogance. Um, I I can be really broken, I can be in depression, I can be struggling with my self-esteem and still be proud because I'm unwilling to ask for help, right? I might not be arrogant, but I'm still proud. Um, Pride shows up in other ways, too. Um, I think fear of losing control is just another form of pride, right? Right? I had a conversation with somebody recently who um, was struggling with um, internet addiction issues, and um, I, I said, you know, the, the solution to that is really simple. Um, you know, we're, we're going to put some stuff on your computer that makes it so you can't get to anything you don't want to get to. And they said, yeah, but I don't want to lose the ability to download an app. I don't want to lose the ability to, to watch a TV show I want to watch. I don't want to lose the ability. And, and the conversation we had was, what's more important, right? Um, is it losing that control? more important to you, or is freedom from that sin more important to you? And that control, I think, is a kind of pride. Worldly guilt is a kind of pride, right. it's all my fault, it's all my fault. Fear of shame is another kind of pride. Right. Yeah, I've, I've, I'd like to give up that habit, but I don't want to go out um, to dinner with my friends and everybody orders a glass of wine and I say, hey, I don't drink anymore, and oh, that'd be embarrassing. And, and, and I believe in all those different ways, um, pride is this sin that opens us up to all the other sins. Jesus says, what does it profit a man uh, to gain the world and lose his soul? Uh, and I wonder, where are those places where our pride is keeping us, hanging on to something that is not of God, at risk of our eternal life because um, we don't want to let go of control. We don't want to let go of guilt. We don't want to let go of shame. We don't want to let go of that responsibility that was never really ours anyway. The opposite of pride is meekness. The opposite of pride is surrender. The episode of pride is is submission to God and saying, hey, you need to be in charge and not me. You need to rule my life and not me. The the third principle of sober recovery um, is to consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. To consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. By the way, it sounds a lot like um, the third step of AA, which is we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Meekness isn't powerlessness. Meekness is is power submitted to God. Uh, You guys know that I love the movie Bruce Almighty, uh, and this is a clip I've shown you before because it's just so good. Um, But but if you're not familiar with the film, Bruce Almighty is a a comedy where Jim Carrey um, talks to God, and for like, I don't know, a day or a few days, God gives Jim Carrey all his power. Um, It's not a good experience for Jim Carrey. And, uh, Bruce, his name is Bruce, and um, by the end of it, his, his life, which was already kind of a mess, is even more of a mess. And uh, he realizes that um, where he thought having all the power, being God in his life would be great, it, it's really made his life so much um, more of a disaster. Uh, and, and I want you to notice um, how he turns his life back over to God. He's going to do it in two ways in this clip. Will you play that? I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will. can't kneel down in the middle of a highway and live to talk about it, son. But why? Why now? Bruce, you have the divine spark. You have the gift for bringing joy and laughter to the world. I know, I created you. Quit bragging. <laughs> See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the spark. <laughs> Them. Go ahead. Use them. Um. Lord, feed the hungry. And bring peace to all of mankind. How's that? Quick. If you want to be Miss America. you really care about. He deserves I got a pulse. All right, let's let him up. Yeah, get the backboard and brace. Okay, Um, great scene. Two two pieces of that I want to point out. Uh, The first one, I mean, um, you couldn't ask for a better example of what it means to think you are God and give up that myth. Uh, But I want you to notice something else very specific. It's not just that he turns over his life to God, right? He also turns over that which is most important in his life, and, and that's grace, right? His fiance, who he loves, who at this moment he finally realizes um, he has been holding on to her like she belonged to him, right? And he gives her to God, and he says, God, I want what's best for her, not what's best for me. Uh, And and I think that is exactly what um, we are called to do when we consciously choose to commit all our life and will to Christ's care and control. Um, We we give our lives in general, and then we go through and we say, God, where are those particular places, right, where I have been trying to hold on to the reins and I need to pass them off to you, Uh, where my pride has tried to be the center, and God, I want you to be the center instead. Okay, two challenges really quick that we have when we try to do this, right? We try to give our lives over to God and say, I don't want to be God anymore. Uh, you do it. The, the, the first challenge is um, we get caught up in the what comes next, right? So there's the decision to give our lives to Christ, and then there's the problem solving of, oh, well, if I do that, then I got to do this and then that and the other and all these steps. And, and I think it is a favorite tactic of our enemy to get us so caught up in what comes next. Um, and all the details and all the, the follow-through and follow-up that we never get around to making that first decision. So I want to tell you today, wherever you are in your life, um, whether you have known Christ for years or, uh, and, but have something you've got to overcome, or whether you have never made a commitment to Christ, um, your job today is not to solve every step that comes down the line, right? Your job today is simply to say, um, I I want to make the decision, right? I want to give my life to God. He doesn't know how his uh, life is going to get put back together. He doesn't know how his girlfriend's life is going to get put back together, but he puts it all in God's hands, Don't get focused on the problem-solving part. Focus on the decision. Now, the, the second thing I think we get confused about in this idea of committing our lives to God is we think, boy, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I have enough faith. And and I want to remind you what Jesus says about that. Jesus says, you know how much faith you need? You need about that much. About the size of a mustard seed, right? Just just that much. That's all it takes, right? Uh, I I had the uh, privilege this week of going home and seeing my mom, who's doing much better. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, I I flew to get there. And I've flown a lot in my life, and so I have a, a pretty high degree of comfort with being on an airplane, Um, But I I know a lot of folks don't, and I have some uh, good friends, one good friend in particular who is just terrified of being on a plane, and and, and she is absolutely certain every time she gets on a plane that it's going to crash, right? It is 100% certainty. Um, And and so I would say that whereas I have a lot of faith in the plane, she has almost none. But, But it's not our faith in the plane that gets us to our destination, right? It's the plane that does the work all we have to do is get on board and, and as happens for the israelites uh, at this moment in exodus right where god calls them uh, to go forward right they they want to go back literally they want to go back to egypt right we've been talking this whole year about not going back to normal they want to go back to egypt back to their old normal back to slavery because they're so frightened of this army that's before them and god says no i don't need you to solve the problem i just need you to stand firm And see what the Lord will do for you. He will fight for you. You have only to keep still. That's all the faith he needs, right? Just enough to commit and say, um, I'm going to stay with you in this, God. By the way, um, when you make that commitment to God, God makes a commitment to you. Uh, And whereas your commitment might only be this big, um, there is no limit uh, to the lengths that God will go to fulfill his promise to you. Uh, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The entire story of Scripture is the story of people who made a commitment to God and then tried to run away from Him. And it never works, right? Because God won't let him go. You read the story of Israel. I mean, they just, they just mess up all the time. It's obnoxious. You read the disciples in the New Testament. All the time they're messing up, right? But, but our hope isn't in our little bit of faith, right? We're not keeping the plane in the air. It's, it's God's commitment to us, right? All we have to do is say, Jesus, I want you to reign in my life. And as you struggle, and as you wander from him, and as you... Um, Try to overcome all the difficulties in your life. You may try to walk away from Him, but at that point, He will not let you go. Uh, John Baker, who is the founder of Celebrate Recovery, has a metaphor for this this, um, season of our life. He says uh, that in World War II, as the Americans, uh, as we were going through our island-hopping strategy, there were basically two uh, aspects of every victory we had in the Pacific. And the first was, uh, we'd come to an island, we'd do like what we called the softening up stage, right? Where we do aerial and, and naval bombardment on Japanese fortifications to, to weaken them up, to, to make some space for our troops. Uh, and then the second was uh, that we would, the Marines would land and they would establish a beachhead, right? A, a small area of territory that they could control safely so they could land um, supplies and other troops and, and equipment to continue the, to continue the assault. Baker says God works in a similar way in our life, uh, that that there is a softening up stage where we are, whether we like it or not, forced to become aware of our own insufficiency, right? our own brokenness, our own sin. Um, And sometimes that happens in, in really beautiful, wonderful ways, and sometimes that is a really painful experience where God uses that megaphone to wake us up Uh, to the lies we have told ourselves and have been told to us, but at some point after that softening up stage, uh, there's an opportunity to establish a beachhead, right? To say, God, I I, want to give my life to you. I want you to come in. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. I don't know all of the lengths I'll have to go later. I don't really even know what I'm committing to do, but I'm asking you to come and to start something new in my life. That beachhead might be um, no more than a mile long. Um, It might be a few hundred yards. You know how many islands the Marines lost after they established a beachhead in World War II? Zero. Not once. Not one time where they pushed off an island they landed on. That's all God wants from us. It's just a willingness to say, please come and make space in my life. Um, I want to give you all of it. I want to give you those parts that um, I'm happy to get rid of, and I want to give you those parts that I desperately want to hold on to. Uh, I want to give up control because I'm not God, and you are. And yeah, I have all kinds of power, and I can do all kinds of things, but I want to submit that to you um, because I believe that you know better for me You know right for me. You know what I need uh, to be a whole person again. So I don't know if you today are in a place where uh, maybe you've been following God for years and years and years, um, but there is this this burden that you can't seem to get rid of or get past. And you've been holding on to it and saying, hey, I'm going to be the one that solves this. And maybe today, Christ is calling you uh, to to submit that to Him, to give that over and allow Him to make a beachhead in that part of your life. Um, Maybe you have grown up in the church and all life long you've believed in God and believed in Jesus, but uh, you're coming to realize that you've always had a child's faith. Maybe you've been an adult for a while, but you've always had a child's faith and now you want to have a woman's faith. You want to have a man's faith. Uh, You want to go deeper with God, and that means not just believing He exists, but committing to Him and committing your life to Him. Maybe you've never done that. Uh, Maybe in your life uh, you have never had that experience of saying, hey, God, I I want you in charge. Maybe you're coming off of a crisis or in the middle of a crisis. Uh, and you've done everything that you can do to solve it, and now you're realizing it was never yours to solve. Wherever you are, I believe that Christ invites you today uh, to to make space for him And, and, and that the promise to the Egyptians is the promise to you. You don't have to solve it. You can't solve it. You were never meant to solve it. God will be your strength. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are reminded today that in so many ways uh, we have tried to hold on to our life. We've tried to take your place in the world and and be God. And, And in big and small ways, our pride has run rampant. We don't want that anymore. We don't want to be in control anymore. We don't want to be the place where the buck stops anymore. So God, today we ask that you would step in, that you would receive uh, this promise from us, this, this commitment from us that, that our lives are yours. And all those places in our lives that we have tried so desperately to hold back and keep secret and protect from You, God, we want to open up those doors and throw open the shutters and let the light in. And we want to ask, Lord, that You would reign there as You reign everywhere else in our life. And we pray, Lord, that You would show us just how much You can do, just how faithful You can be. Uh, Show us, Lord, that... um, with a little bit of faith on our part, we can have infinite faithfulness from You. Lord Jesus, we pray that You would come and make us new today. In Your holy name we pray. Amen.